study on the precious blood of Jesus. It's been a very uh, enlightening and a very uh, beneficial study. I've really appreciated uh, being able to study again, go back over again, and uh, get new uh, insights and uh, reaffirm and refresh. And so we want to uh, talk this morning about uh, the, one of the most cr- critical or crucial uh, uh, facets of this because uh, the blood of Jesus Christ is a fact of biblical truth. Uh, and so this is uh, goes without saying, but <clears throat> with any truth, it has no benefit unless it's acted upon. And so we want to talk this morning about uh, about doing that because if uh, you've been around in any kind of uh, uh, where I've been preaching in faith and crusades, that faith is something you believe, faith is something that you say, and faith is something that you do. All three of those are involved. Those uh, acting alone uh, generally will not bring any kind of spiritual results or effects. And so uh, we want to uh, conclude this morning with this. And so the conclusion is, how do you use... Uh, this truth in the realm of spiritual conflict. We want to deal with pleading the blood, but I want our key scripture. Uh, somebody get for me First Peter one nineteen. If somebody do that, Pete Baker, and I want Revelation twelve ten and eleven. Uh, somebody get that. Bill Bronson is going to get that for us. So uh, we want to conclude and uh, perhaps have some time for uh, at length discussion at the end. First Peter one nineteen. I want to tell you that this is uh, is one of the foundation stones. Uh, if you were here Wednesday night uh, a month ago, ago, probably I preached on cornerstones. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. A cornerstone is something from which the entire structure is referenced. If the cornerstone is not set correctly or... If the building is not in reference to the, uh, the cornerstone correctly, the entire structure will uh, be uh, at the very least flawed and may be uh, very seriously uh, uh, damaged. And so uh, at, at, at any cult, any false doctrine, they're always wrong about Jesus Christ. They're wrong about his death. They're wrong about his person. They're wrong about uh, uh, about some facet of uh, redemption. Uh, they're wrong about the gospel, uh, and this will re- reference in to Jesus Christ. I just previewed a video uh, this week that I want to show next Sunday morning. Don't miss next Sunday morning. This is going to be one of the most outlandish, outrageous things that you ever seen in your life. Uh, you bring all your neighbors to see this. I mean, if you want to see a nut factory, this is a nut factory very well-known Bible teacher. Two of these Bible teachers go on record that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient. That he had to go to hell, and there's where real redemption was wrought. We see that isn't in accord with the blood of Jesus, is it? See, we've studied very carefully the blood of Jesus all the way through And it was that blood. And the reason that that blood is unique is that Jesus Christ is unique. There is no little Jesus. We're not becoming little gods with a small g. We're not little Jesuses. We're redeemed souls. 
That's why this study is so crucial and so important. And uh, one of these men goes on to say that if just a death on the cross would have been sufficient, any man or any prophet could have done that. Now, that's where the blood of Jesus comes crucial in our understanding, and this is why I'm teaching this Bible class, and this is why, incidentally, I always teach Bible classes, is because it enables me to put a foundation in believers that uh, when they hear this stuff, is no, nah, that's not right. Something doesn't ring true. The spirit of truth is in you, and the spirit of truth isn't some good feeling that you'll have or some aura that'll come around you. It will be based on the Word of God that's inside you. And when that Word of God's inside of you, then when this stuff comes across, you may not at the moment fully be able to comprehend or be able to contradict, but something inside you, the alarm bells go off. You say, no, 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 that's not right somehow. So this is why we're teaching this. 1 Peter 1, 19. But with the precious, remember precious is something unique, something that generally is uh, without replacement, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we've worked through that. We want to talk about pleading the blood and what that means, Revelations 12, 10, and 11. came him by the blood of the Lamb. That's a, that's a key scripture, and we want to talk about pleading the blood. We talked a little bit about deliverance in an early uh, session, but we want to lock in upon this. So to plead the blood, uh, as uh, uh, Karen Heimberg had given a testimony earlier, is a legal imagery. When you begin to use the word plead, it has a Bible history. And we want to look at that. I want uh, in this section here, 1 Samuel 24, verse 15. Somebody get that quickly for me. 1 Samuel 24, 15. Steve, I want 1 Samuel 25, 39. Uh, Paul Heimberg, I want Job 13, verse 6. Uh, Twister, I want Psalms 35, verse 1. Somebody on this side, Psalms 35, verse 1. Dennis. Uh, I want Lamentations 3:58, Don uh, Galati, and I want Isaiah 43:25 and 26. Pete Baker. So uh, we want to look at the use of this word in, in in the Bible, Bible history concerning pleading. Because to understand pleading the blood, you have to get a legal imagery. You have to understand a courtroom. You have to understand this is legal language. This has to do with justice. This has to do with law. And it has to do with uh, uh, pleading a case. And the Hebrew word is rev, R-E-E-V, to strive, to contend, uh, to conduct a legal case. This is the verb in its noun form. It's dispute, controversy, or a case at law. So lock that in your mind. When we're talking about pleading the blood, we're have a, we have a courtroom setting. This is where it comes out of, and this will give you some understanding if you've ever been in a court, uh, you understand what this is all about in legal cases. First Samuel 24, verse 15. 
Okay, here's this word plead, and it has to do with a legal terminology, as we're going to see all throughout the Bible. These are just a few of the scriptures. First Samuel 25, verse 39. Okay, and so here's David. There's an injustice has been done. Uh, God undertakes for him, and uh, and uh, in 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 the circumstances of life in Nabal's case, and he's uh, he's thanking the Lord uh, for God pleading his case. It has to do with a legal uh, terminology. Job 13 verse six. Okay, this this word again uh, uh, is has to do if you put it in context with the same uh, uh, the same framework. Lamentation three fifty eight. Okay, here is there. Oh Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul, and finally Isaiah forty three twenty five and twenty six. Okay, and this uh, this fits in again. This contending uh, has to do with pleading, and we have the legal case. So what we have is the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren. How many of you know the devil is the accuser of the brethren? He's your accuser. And the accusation he makes has to do with the fact of law. The fact of law that you have broken, the law of God, you're a sinner, you have no claim, you have no rights, you have broken the law of God, and he's the accuser of the brethren. Someone's written, if a man's redemption is to be real, it must be solidly lawful. So here we have a courtroom. If you catch this imagery with me, Satan is the prosecuting attorney, and the verdict that's going to be given is going to depend on evidence. Here's the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to bring the evidence into uh, play. And Adam, our father, has exercised his free will, and he's fell into the hand of the enemy. So this is our problem, is we have inherited sin, not only by inheritance, but also by deed. We are guilty before God. We have no hope. We have no case. There's no way we're going to escape. Hell is our eternal habitation and misery upon this earth. But God has provided a sacrifice, and the blood of the Lamb has redeemed man from Satan's hold unto God and uh, and his plan. So Isaiah 49, 25, and 26, this is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Old Testament. I was in Nogales, Arizona. Uh, I was uh, uh, sitting at a motel. We were doing a crusade below the border. Uh, I was involved in it. And uh, as we were sitting there, uh, we were discussing 
And uh, God just spoke this scripture to me and suddenly began to see because I was wrestling with some issues of deliverance. And as I was uh, uh, pondering uh, demonic oppression, I was pondering uh, how to get people free, I was pondering the issues of, of, uh, of people who you can't get free apparently, there appears to be no deliverance. God just dropped this in my heart, and this is one of the key scriptures of deliverance. And if, and if, you're, uh, if, if we can take a look at that, I want somebody to get that for me. Isaiah 49, 25 and 26, over on my far right, if somebody would get that. Uh, it's Sister Schultz. I want Hebrews 12, 24, somebody over there. Uh, Roger Holloman. I want First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Somebody else get that for me. Uh, uh, Pete Baker. Okay. And so uh, remember, uh, here we're dealing with a courtroom. We're dealing with law. We're dealing with uh, uh, sin. We're dealing with a broken law. We're dealing with a prosecutor or the accuser of the brethren. And judgment and justice is the issue we have to wrestle with. Isaiah 49, 25, and 26 are beautiful and a powerful deliverance scripture in the Old Testament that deals with this very fact. Okay, here it says, uh, Shall the captive be delivered? If you uh, look at that, uh, perhaps in your Bible, in the center column, it has lawful captive, which, uh, which gives it intensified meaning. And so in other words... Here are people who are lawfully captive. How many of you know that when we sin, uh, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that we're at the devil's mercy? How many of you know that? That's the weapon. This is the lever that he had. But this says, shall the lawful captive be delivered? And God says, absolutely, because I'm working a redemption. I will save, and I'm a redeemer, and I'm going to even set the lawful captive free so uh, now we come into the issue of how this is going to be done. And so faith takes hold of this truth. See, uh, pleading the blood is not a mantra. That we said, the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. It's not a mantra. This works by faith. Without faith, this has no power. You might as well be rattling the beads. Some of you know what that is, some of you don't, okay? You just as well be rattling the beads. But faith takes hold of this and makes it powerful and enforces this on the devil and his crowd. The devil is at work oppressing. He has demonic forces that are constantly at work. But the issue is that once faith takes hold of the understanding of the blood of Jesus, it enforces Calvary's verdict upon him and he must, uh, uh, he must release his whole. And this is why it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Hebrews 12, 24. But of that All right, here's this imagery. comes out of the tabernacle of the Old Testament and uh, says uh, uh, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and... To the blood of sprinkling. Those of you who've been here a number of years, you remember me preaching a whole sermon on sprinkling of the blood. And in the conclusion, when we all rose up and began to, uh, in a picture and an imagery, sprinkle the blood to ratify the covenant that God has wrought by that blood, just as 
The old covenant was ratified just as the sacrifices, the blood was sprinkled around the altar, demonstrating the ratification just as the priest went into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat once a year. This is the imagery, and it's, it's picked up in that text. First Peter 1, verse 2. Here Paul writes again, he uses that imagery under the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is how the covenant is ratified. This is how it's put into force. It's executed in a spiritual dimension by faith when you take it and you execute it. Until you do that, uh, then uh, without faith in that precious blood, there's very little that's going to happen to you. You may, uh, uh, through uh, faith, uh, believe in Jesus. This is true. You'll be saved. There's no problem with that. But when it comes to demonic forces and uh, the warfare in the spirit realm, you're not largely going to be successful until you understand and you begin to exercise this and put it into, into practice. So we want to get some actual cases and get a little bit of uh, insight because knowledge is not enough. So I want to reiterate again uh, that one of the great revelations I had. Many of you were here. Uh, my son Greg was preaching. He was uh, uh, in the uh, Easter communion service, was uh, using that as a point of contact. We were praying for visitors. There was a mother of one of our uh, families was visiting that morning, uh, came to be prayed for for arthritis. He was uh, standing on the platform praying for her. I was helping him behind. He prayed for arthritis. She renounced hatred and bitterness, forgave those that had sinned against her. Instantly, the arthritis left her body. And when it did, she said, I've got a deaf ear, too. And so we began to pray for that. Uh, he uh, prayed for it. I prayed for it. Then I stood back and began to try to test it uh, while she closed off her good ear. And it was coming in and out, fading in and out. And then something came over me. I said, the blood of Jesus sets me free and she repeated those words, and when she did, she jumped, and the demon came out. The moment I saw that, I saw a revelation that transformed and revolutionized my praying for the sick, because knowledge is not enough. Now, that woman went to a church, no doubt, where they had preached on. Uh, she went to a full gospel church in Phoenix. It had some had some kind of knowledge. She, no doubt, had read the Bible but had never been put into practice in an actual point of uh, enforcing the victory of Calvary's tree. Okay, you want to make a comment? I don't know. <laughs> Probably 89 or 90, somewhere around there, I don't know. Okay. So let me tell you another story, and, I'm, and we're going to move through some more. Uh, Richard Brooks is a uh, one of our missionaries in Romania, a lovely family, Richard, Richard and Anita Brooks, called me, and he was not uh, raised up in this fellowship. He came in through a relationship in Australia. He was in prison in Australia. Uh, somebody gave him the, the, uh, uh, the books uh, from the fellowship. He read that in prison, came back to the States, uh, bounced around here and there, uh, went to Romania uh, with some uh, group and, uh, and in the process of time married Anita, who's a little Romanian girl, uh, started to work there 
And so came into our fellowship as he came back to the States and through a series of events, God brought him into contact and we began to work with him. So Richard is there. He, he, he doesn't know everything about our fellowship, but he's, he's asking questions, doing everything he can. Uh, and so uh, call me on the phone. Uh, his wife called me on the phone and said, Pastor, would you pray for Richard? And he'd probably been in uh, a year and a half or so in the fellowship. And uh, I said, what's the matter with him? He said, he's in bed. Uh, he has severe back pain. It's uh, so bad he can't even walk. And, uh, and I want you to pray for him. I said, well, can he get to a phone? And so uh, she said, yes. So he uh, crawled to the phone and uh, in very severe pain, had been that way for some period of time. And so uh, he said, I think I lifted something and that hurt my back. And I said, no, that's not the problem. Our bodies are made with the ability to lift vast amounts. We can do fa fantastic work. And I found uh, that when people have back trouble, generally, it's a spiritual problem. Now, I won't say 100% because I don't know everything, but I, I can fill both hands and toes with severe cases that uh, has been another problem that I could tell you about and, and uh, over and over again. So uh, I said to him, that's not the problem. Have you got any gifts lately? Uh, no, I haven't gotten any gifts. Have you... Uh, bought any antiques lately no I haven't done that have you uh, prayed for deliverance anybody lately and uh, that would have been into witchcraft no I haven't done that I said have you had anybody pray for you recently uh, that uh, is uh, in some kind of meeting or well yes he said I went to a charismatic meeting and uh, this is a part of the laughing revival and uh, some of our people were going and so he said I uh, I went to it and uh, snick, snuck in, got in the back, and in the process of the time, they saw me there, and the, the pastor came off the platform uh, in the course of the event, threw a coat that he had, was using as, a, as a, ma a mantle, threw it on me, began to pray for me that God would release these things in my church. I felt nothing, uh, did nothing, went out of, of the meeting, and uh, in confusion and uh, not understanding because there was some kind of power there, there ain't any doubt about that, uh, uh, bizarre manifestations were taking place all over the place. And he said, the next day was when I came down with the back problem. I said, that's what the problem is. I said, I want you to renounce that, close the door to it, let him in a prayer of renunciation, broke the curse of false religion. Instantly he was healed and has not had any more back problem. So you see, some of the things that I preach, folks, uh, uh, I have a little ex background to bring to this. Okay, so this, this has been quite some time ago. I can't remember, a couple of years, three years ago maybe. And so uh, this is a, an actual case. So I want to I work you through, uh, before we uh, get some more scripture, I want to work you through a couple of uh, testimonies, and this will give you insight. See, the, it's actual cases that give you tremendous insight. That's the reason I'm telling you these stories. Let me read you this. This comes uh, out of Maxwell White's book, uh, uh, the, uh, blood of G the Power of the Blood. And he says, every fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God begins with a praying group or with praying groups. There were two such groups in the British Isles in 1907, doubtless more. But the writer knows of these two. One group of five women met every Saturday in a small home in London to pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. The other group of uh, five men met each Saturday night in the Episcopal Rectory in Sunderland, England. The cry of both groups was for a Pentecostal outpouring in the British Isles. The Lord came to the London group first. Catherine Price, a humble housewife, was preparing her dinner when she was constrained by the Spirit to leave everything 
and go to wait upon the Lord. As she waited, Jesus came to her in person. As she magnified and glorified him, her English was taken away, and she began to praise him in a new language. A few days later, she was led to go to a meeting in London, organized by the Keswick Group, a people who stood for the, higher, the highest spiritual life in those days. The service began with a song, but there seemed to be no heart in the worship. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon Catherine Price, a very timid woman, and she cried out, Oh, how can you sing so listlessly, so apathetically, so carelessly about the blood of Jesus Christ? Immediately, she began to speak in another tongue as she gave utterance. The effect upon the audience was tremendous. Some fell upon their faces before God. Others rushed out of the building in fear. A number were deeply impressed that this was truly a manifestation of the Spirit of God. They inquired for the address of this woman. From that day, there came to her home many who desired to know about this, and they were baptized in the Spirit. Her home was open for meetings in which the one theme was, Behold, the Lamb of God, for by the outpoured blood of the Lamb, of the, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit was purchased. And so the outpouring of the Spirit began in London. Soon the Spirit was outpoured in Sunderland, and there, there is in London the blood of Jesus Christ was extolled. As they reverently pleaded the blood of Jesus, many were filled with the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, there was another group praying in Valparaiso, Chile, South America, in a Methodist church. The Lord poured out His Spirit there upon Dr. Hoover and his Methodist brethren, a group of five who met every day for prayer. The theme of that revival was also the blood of Jesus Christ. They greatly honored the blood in those days and constantly sang, Under the blood, the precious blood, under the cleansing, healing blood, keep me Savior from day to day under the precious blood. It seemed that there was no end to the revelations of the power and the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, once again, the Lord is bringing the power of the blood to the attention of the church. Let us honor and plead the blood of the Lamb very reverently, for through the blood we have power over all the might of the enemy. To those who not mechanically but in true holy reverence, plead the blood of the Lamb. There will be a restoration of all that the locust, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm has eaten. Let me uh, read you uh, one more uh, before we uh, take some scripture. <clears throat> I think this comes from the same book. It says, When the Israelites used the blood... Taking hyssop and splashing the blood upon their lentils and doorposts, God would not permit Satan or his demon spirits to enter their homes. The Israelites were completely covered. Satan, the teeth-gnashing creature, was bound in fury by God because the Israelites used blood. We believe the reason so many Christians are feeble, sick, and fearful today is because they have not been taught to use the blood of Jesus as a covering. In the early days of the Pentecostal revival, between 1908 and 1912, much was heard about the pleading of the blood. Uh, Mrs. Woodworth uh, Etter, in her great deliverance campaigns in Los Angeles and Chicago, used to stand with hands raised and by living face, sprinkle the blood of Jesus upon the crowds. The results described in her book are fantastic. People come rushing to the front of the auditorium, fall prostrate. Many were healed before they reached the front. Many fell speaking in other tongues. Such songs as We Are Under the Blood uh, were sung frequently in those days, in the early days of the outpouring of the Spirit in Great Britain. Such marvelous baptism of the Spirit were experienced through pleading the blood that people came from all over the world to receive their baptism. It is recorded in Pastor Kent White's book, The Word of God Coming Again, now out of print, that the truth of using the blood by speaking it or pleading it came by revelation of the Spirit to hungry seekers. Previous to that time, not much was known about the importance of pleading the blood. Even a young girl of tender years was heard pleading the blood earnestly under a table. No one had taught her about this. 
It came to her as a revelation from the Holy Spirit. As soon as this truth was discovered by more people, the number of those receiving true baptisms in the Spirit were increased. Then let me read you one more, and then I want somebody in this section to get me Job 33, 23 through 28. Casey, uh, and let me read you one more. We must realize... Uh, that Satan is the author of all damage to the body. Demons try to attack any injured part of our body and permit germs which are always around us to impinge on the injured flesh and do their work of destruction and poisoning. But when the blood of Jesus is applied in faith, it acts as a covering which prevents Satan from attacking us with germs. Therefore, the natural heating process in our body quickly do their work, but are not hindered by Satan. The blood of Jesus is the finest covering and disinfecting in the world. It is perfect. That's from Maxwell White's book, uh, The Power of the Blood. I want also Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Who is it? Uh, Brenda. Oh, she's got it in her hand. Okay. I gave that to her to read. Uh, that's a very rare book, but I found it uh, in the bookstore this yesterday. I just uh, I found another one, a brand new one. They told me it was out of print. Okay, Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Somebody get this for me right here. Uh, brother here, I want uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Uh, Denny, I want uh, Psalms 107, verse 2. Somebody else over there. It's uh, Ms. Gill. I want Revelation 12, 11 again. Uh, Mike, and uh, I want uh, Mark 11, 20. Uh, uh, Mike, if you'll just hold that in Romans 10, 9, and 10, uh, it's Dan, all right? So, uh, Job 33, uh, 23 through 28. Let's have that for a moment. Okay, here's a tremendous uh, passage of deliverance and healing in the Old Testament. And I want to read again. I used this in earlier text, but I want to read again. I think this comes out of Dake's Bible. And uh, it's, it's playing on those words. Uh, he do, uh, the Hebrews, Pada, deliver, redeem, loose to ransom by price. Uh, here it is clear that the deliverance depends on the graciousness of God, which in turn depends on finding a ransom. The ransom is what makes it possible for God to restore the sick to life. It was God, not the sick, who found a ransom, which makes it possible for Him to be just in extending graciousness to the sick. The idea is that God was looking for a ransom, some reason to deliver the sick, one, uh, the sick one, and restore him to health, and such a ransom appeared. There was no, no, then no reason for the sick not being healed and restored to perfect health. The ransom God found was atonement. As seen in uh, note F below, something that his righteousness demanded, and since finding it, there could be no excuse for keeping the benefits of atonement from the ones for whom it was provided. This puts healing of the body on a purely legal and redemptive basis. The debt having been paid, the benefits are now freely given to all who have faith in the canceled debt, those who can prove to Satan by proper authority and legal rights that he has no claim on him anymore, can go free from any of his works.
So we're dealing now with covenant. Remember, we've moved through covenant ratified personally by the individual pleading. The curse is broken and the blessing is released. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Okay, one of those glorious, it's a wonderful, wonderful. He uh, was the curse, and uh, he hung on the tree. Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon us through the Spirit. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has translated us into the kingdom or the dimension or the realm or the rule of Jesus Christ through faith in his blood. Another powerful, powerful scripture, Psalms 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Faith is something you believe. Faith is something you say. Faith is something you do. Those are the dynamics. If you want to get people healed, that's some of the simple dynamics that are involved. Simply you praying for them might affect it. I'm, I'm not arguing with that. It might do that. Uh, however... I discovered that there, uh, there are some dynamics in, I, in, in the course of time. One of these is getting them to pray. It really, really increases uh, by a 10 jillion percent. If you get them to pray and take dominion, then if you get them to act upon the prayer that you've just prayed, because many times I see people heal not when I pray or not when they pray, but when they act on the prayer that we've just prayed, uh, it's glorious to see uh, that uh, miracle happens when they're acting by faith. Okay, Revelations 12, 11. By the word of their testimony. In other words, they are pleading. They are putting that into practice and they're enforcing that in the spirit realm. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's uh, open this for discussion now and see where we're going to go from here. Uh, uh, Brenda Martin. Okay. So that's an interesting uh, thing. What he's saying is much of what the scripture we just read is that through this we enter into a spiritual dimension where there is wonderful deliverance and there's release. Casey Wolwin. What do you do? Okay, he was doing whatever he does. That's, I want to hear that. <laughs> a noticeable and a tangible difference. Yeah, immediately. Okay. So you you discovered what's very true, and uh, which is a powerful dynamic. Anybody else? Uh, 
Uh, Mike. Yeah, you can go several directions, but this has to do with the individual, undoubtedly, uh, in, in uh, because the blood is sanctifying whatever it touches. Setting it apart to God, that our ears be set apart to hear God, okay? And uh, that our hands, this has to do with our service, uh, what we're doing, that we're, we're going to, our service is going to be unto God. We're going to serve Him. Our labors are going to be in His behalf, and our feet has to do with our walk that uh, we walk in his pathways. Uh, you, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so, uh, but you could, you could go in, in uh, many directions with that. There's, there's varied, varied things, all of which would still be true. You need, you need, to, you need to consecrate your hearing to God. And filthy jokes, right? I won't listen to them. I want to hear them. Uh, who is it here, uh, Mike? Oh, yeah. Where are the nine? Aren't there ten that was cleansed? Where are the rest? Are there none returned to give thanks save the Samaritan? Yes, this is quite frequently. Uh, and uh, so there always ought to be a, 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 a gospel uh, testimony or penetration. Anytime you pray for people, you need to bear in on the gospel and uh, bring them under conviction at least. If you can't get them saved, bring them under conviction. But, but God is gracious. He's very gracious, and I've seen outright sinners healed. And I, you probably heard me tell about the old atheist in California. I was praying, and God was healing everything. They kept this old man back. He's just one of those old, you know, just a nasty spirit old guy. And so they said, yeah, this guy's got back trouble, and he's an atheist. And so I said, bring him on. You know, God's healing everything. We'll see what we can do. And so I said, uh, you want Jesus to heal you? Do he said, yeah, well, whatever. And so I set him down, had him close his eyes, led him in a sinner's prayer, and he prayed that sinner's prayer. And God gloriously and wonderfully healed him. Now, I have serious doubts as to how powerful his conversion was, but because he obeyed a man of God, God healed his back. So uh, I'd at least penetrate him with a gospel testimony. Uh, Terry? Was a what? Shane, something happened inside you from that point on. And yes. And so uh, there is, uh, I have to tell you that early on when I started praying individually for people uh, for sickness, that there is something in a spiritual dimension that happens beyond the physical because we are, we are a, a complex creature. Uh, and there's something happens that I that I many times seen an immediate change in their personality when they're healed, and I can't explain all that. But this, she's just now given a testimony that bore that out of something that I preached about and observed uh, in past history. I'm, I'm, that's I'm glad to hear that, Terry. And so, uh, Casey. I don't know if this is last summer, summer before, but you Yes. But he was made whole when he came back, give thanks, and then Jesus 
said uh, you made whole a totally different word than being healed. This is uh, this is wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. That's a different word than healed. The one that says they were went their way and they discovered they were all healed. That's a totally different word. It's there's one thing to be healed. It's a different thing to be made whole. Let me have these two scriptures before we uh, get back. Mark eleven twenty three. I gave that to somebody. If you'll read that for me, uh, it was Mike. And then I want Romans ten nine and ten. Okay, here's, without going through the whole exposition of it, here's the powerful dynamic of speaking. He says, if you say, you'll have. Now, this is not some gimmick that you're going to go around and speak Cadillacs into existence. That's a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't that you're going to uh, 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 live like the devil and you can, you can, you can mow down every problem in life simply by speaking that. But there is a truth that when you link that with a heartfelt faith and you bring this to bear in the spiritual realm, that the spirit realm begins to move. Romans 10, 9 and 10, another one of the powerful scriptures of, uh, of the dynamic of speaking. Remember, we're talking about pleading the blood. Here's a, one of the great scriptures, Romans 10, beginning verse 6. It says, uh, uh, the righteousness, which is by faith, speaks like this. Don't say, who shall ascend into heaven, bring him uh, down from above, or to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep to bring him up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your heart and in your mouth, the word of faith which we preach. That, if you will... Uh, 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 confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart man believes unto righteousness and with, a, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's a powerful spiritual dynamic there. Let me read you another uh, testimony because this will help you. It said, uh, uh, this is not prayer. This is taking your God-given authority over Satan and his forces. This is overcoming the devil. January 1995, a beautiful young career woman from New York told me how she persevered in holding the blood against a long entrenched condition in her body. She'd suffered with several ruptured discs in her spine for five years. Her roommate told me the pain was terrible to watch. Her friend could not lift the coffee pot or open the heavy door to their apartment. The young victim's medical history included four MRIs and the doctor's conclusion that she must have surgery. She was reluctant to do so because of the permanent effects it would have on her back. Somehow, she got our first set of teaching tapes on the blood. She heard how the old-timers would hold the blood on a problem, and she decided to hold the blood on her disc. She reported to me uh, with a roommate standing beside her that now... She was completely free of pain, and another MRI showed a perfect back. Uh, so these are things that give us insight. Let me read uh, one more, uh, at least, and uh, this will help you. 
This comes out of the book, uh, The Glory in the Blood. A minister and his wife. I used this earlier. I want to read it again for those that are present this morning. A minister and his wife named Stevens were conducting meetings in Canada in a large church. They left their children at home in the southeastern part of the United States in care of grandparents. The Canadian meetings were inflicting great damage to the kingdom of darkness. Many were coming to new life in Jesus, and many were being set free from bondages of Satan. Don Gossett gave me the following account in his book, Praise the Avenue. Because of this success, the devil became infuriated and began to torment Brother Stevens with a thought that he was going to kill the Stevens' children. Brother Stevens said, Devil, you're a liar. You cannot kill my children. To this, the devil seemed to say, Oh, yes, I can, for I put rabies upon the foxes in the woods adjoining your property. Immediately, Brother Stevens remembered the reports of friends who had seen foxes roaming on his land before he'd left Tennessee. In simple childlike faith, Brother Stevens gathered together three other believers. They, uh, together they agreed in prayer and by faith drew a bloodline of protection around the Stevens property. A week later, Brother Stevens received a letter from his brother back in Tennessee. He said, Today, I was out walking. I walked around the edge of your property, lying on the boundary of your land. I found five dead foxes. We had the heads examined and found they were all rabid. The foxes had dropped dead when they tried to cross the bloodline. When Reverend Gossip heard this, he had his answer for a long time. Thieves had been regularly breaking into his ministry office, vandalizing, causing great devastation. The Gossips installed security devices. They worked with police. Nothing stopped the intruders until, when I heard this story, Don Gossett wrote, I decided to draw a bloodline. I'll call my wife and family together. By faith, we drew a bloodline around our offices. That was in 1969. We've never had a break-in at our offices since. Is there a Bible basis for drawing a bloodline? Decidedly, yes. Then let me read you one more, and then we'll uh, open for discussion. This truth was taught by, uh, to one of my friends, uh, Rudy Peterson of Detroit, Michigan, a preaching railroad man. Rudy went down to preach in a little mission station in the Bahama Islands. It had previously been impossible for any missionary to stay and preach for the local natives whipped up by the devil, used to make terrible noises with tin cans and cries so as to make worship impossible. When Rudy and a friend of his arrived at the mission station, they walked around the perimeter of the mission, pleading the blood of Jesus out loud. This was done several times, and after that, no further trouble was experienced. Rudy, by faith, had put a bloodline right around the chapel so you can always count on deliverance. When you plead the blood. Let's uh, have some more questions and comments. We've got about five minutes. Uh, Carol. Levitation? Very good. Somebody else? Uh, Sandy. I like people. <laughs> Praise God. Yes. Very good. He works on dogs. All right, I want to say again, we're not talking about a mantra that we keep over and over again. No matter how you live or, or what the factors are, you're just going to 
use this as a mantra. We're talking about faith, believers who by faith will exercise and understand their rights in Christ. 